This is not a little thing. This is a big deal. The U.S. Department of Energy announced a major advance today in the decades-long quest to harness fusion energy. Researchers at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California for the first time produced more energy in a fusion reaction than was used to ignite it. What do I mean by that? Are you already confused? Uh, It's relatively straightforward, at least Marv Adams, Deputy Administrator for Defense Programs at the National Nuclear Security Administration, explains. A team at Lawrence Livermore National Lab, National Ignition Facility, made the following happen. There's a tiny cylinder here at the end of this that you probably can't see. It's about so tall and this wide. Inside that was a a small spherical capsule about half the diameter of a BB. 192 laser beams entered from the two ends of the cylinder and struck the inner wall. They didn't strike the capsule. They struck the inner wall of this cylinder and deposited energy. And that happened in less time than it takes light to move 10 feet. So it's kind of fast. X-rays from the wall impinged on the spherical capsule. Fusion fuel in the capsule got squeezed. Fusion reactions started. This had all happened before, a hundred times before. But last week, for the first time, they designed this experiment so that the fusion fuel stayed hot enough, dense enough, and round enough for long enough that it ignited, and it produced more energies than the lasers had deposited. That is the key. It produced more energy than it took to create the energy. That's the key here. Uh, We do have an expert standing by who's going to explain all of this, so stick with me for a second here. Uh, Livermore National Lab Director Kim Buyudil says fusion ignition is now a reality that will spark even more discovery. Ignition is a first step, a truly monumental one that sets the stage for a transformational decade in high-energy density science and fusion research, and I cannot wait to see where it takes us. U.S. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm the former uh, governor of Michigan, was there as well. So you could tell how big a deal it was. She says the implications of the breakthrough in fusion research are very exciting. If we can advance fusion energy, we could use it to produce clean electricity, uh, transportation fuels, power, heavy industry, so much more. It would be like adding um, a power drill to our toolbox in building this clean energy economy. Doesn't that sound promising, right? So this is a big deal, but how big a deal is it? Um, to help us out with that, joining me now is Robert Fedoseyevs. He is a laser physicist at the University of Alberta who has conducted fusion-related research. So he should know all about this. Thanks so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Hi, you're very welcome, and thanks for inviting me. So tell me about this, because it's certainly, um, everyone's very excited about it. I think a lot of us are trying to figure out exactly what's happened. Uh, but this is not new, right? Uh, I've heard that they, you know, scientists have been working on this for many, many years. Exactly. Yeah, no, this is uh, a 60-year endeavor so far to uh, reach this goal. And this is the, the first major milestone that scientists and engineers have been trying to reach uh, to actually demonstrate that, indeed, we could recreate the conditions of the uh, sun in the laboratory and uh, control it for long enough that we would get net energy out compared to the energy we use to create those uh, fuel conditions to begin with. And when you, when you think about it, the conditions are just absolutely extreme compared to anything we're used to, that you're talking 100 million degrees 
centigrade and, and densities, which are 10 to 100 times uh, more dense than normal solid matter. And to create those conditions takes a, a significant amount of energy to begin with. Until now, the energy invested in creating the conditions would be greater than the energy you would get out of it, and therefore you never had net energy gain. But so, uh, for the first time, this is where we've achieved it. So, so if I heard you right, create the energy from create sort of the the same circumstances that are inside the sun here on Earth. I mean, it sounds remarkable, right? It sounds incredibly difficult to, to do. No wonder it's taken decades. Uh, basically, to uh, examine the various approaches that could be used, and, and the the result today was using laser beams. So this is laser fusion. And another mainline approach is to use a very, very strong magnetic fields so the particles never touch the walls. Even though they're, they're super energetic, super hot, they basically are trapped on magnetic field lines, and that's magnetic fusion. But the laser approach uh, basically doesn't try to trap the particles. It just tries to compress them uh, to a very high density instantaneously and have them react so quickly that the energy doesn't have time to escape. Essentially, uh, the whole reaction is over in, in, a, in, in, in a blink of the eye, but on a uh, sub-microsecond, uh, millimicrosecond timescale, essentially. So, so that the audience understands, of course, this is fusion. We, we're used to, to fission, right? I mean, that's, that's how nuclear energy works now. Um, without getting too, too technical, so, <laughs> so the audience, we can all follow along. What is the difference? What's happening here? In, in fusion. Right. So basically, as the name says, and it's basically combining very light atoms. And in this case, it's hydrogen atoms together and forming larger atoms, and in this case, forming helium. And so you're basically taking uh, various forms. These are special isotopes of hydrogen that are used but are available on Earth and combining them to form helium, which is basically a benign uh, safe gas. And that's your end product. And in so doing, you release a tremendous amount of energy. You release about a million times the energy per each reaction that you would in any chemical reaction, such as burning fuel, etc., where you also are combining molecules together but not um, transmuting atoms. Now, in fission, you break up the atoms. And so you take uranium, and it splits into uh, many components, uh, smaller atoms, and these then are your radioactive waste, in essence, that you then have to store and, and, and deal with for the next uh, 100 to 10,000 years, essentially. So therein lies the beauty of fusion, is that there is no waste. Exactly. Or at least not, no, no waste that you have to worry about. Exactly. Yes, yes. So when you look at what happened today, I gather that the amount of energy produced, though, even though we produced more energy than we use to produce it, which is the breakthrough, it wasn't a lot of energy. No. So the, the demonstration today is, is sort of the first step. It's the, it's the milestone that everybody's been trying to achieve to say, is the process viable? Can we actually generate energy? And this now conclusively says, yes, indeed, we can do it in, on a laboratory scale. And now, of course, the goal would be to improve the efficiency to the point where it becomes a viable energy uh, production mechanism. And that will require increasing the gains, not just you know, for uh, break-even, but to get up to 10 times, so 100 times the gain uh, per actual um, interaction, in essence. Right. So so today is, is, is a big deal, but a small step. Yes, 
Yeah, well, for people who've been working on this for 60 years, it's a big step yeah, well, to actually yeah, get to this say, point. Yes, exactly. Indeed. Yeah, as someone was saying today, that uh, they've been, it's been 10 years away for 50 years, right? The, this breakthrough. Uh, a very, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, the reaction to it today, I mean, within the community, the reaction to it today, did, did people, were people aware this was coming? Um, well, those who have been watching it, yes, yes. In fact, you know, there's uh, a number of private enterprises who are now starting uh, various uh, approaches to fusion in terms of, uh, you know, uh, private uh, approaches for um, uh, building reactors, demo reactors. So there's about 40 such uh, initiatives now who've already realized the the uh, the benefits and the prospects of fusion and therefore investing in this already. So for those who've been paying attention, yes, for many, they've always thought it's, you know, 30 years away and will always remain 30 years away. But uh, in fact, we're getting there slowly. We're talking fusion with Robert Fedoseevs this half hour. He's a laser physicist at the University of Alberta. There was a big breakthrough today. In fact, they rolled out uh, the red carpet to announce it. Jennifer Granham, who's the U.S. Energy Secretary, was there today to announce it, uh, which is a pretty big deal. Uh, this all happened at the Livermore Laboratory in California. Essentially, uh, the break-even point was passed with fusion. This is going to be a very unscientific way of explaining it. But they used less energy to create it than they produced by doing it. And that's a big deal. Um, and, and the heat involved, uh, as Robert was explaining e earlier, is absolutely astronomical. I mean, they're essentially trying to create um, what we could only be called sort of solar-like conditions on this planet, which seems, you know, which seems just, um, it's mind-blowing in many ways. But with all the great stuff that was being said today, how far away are we seeing this from being a viable source of energy? So I would say we're still about uh, two decades away, ball, ballpark. Uh, we need to, as I said, advance the um, energy gains up to the 10 times or 100 times. And then there are designs already on paper and, and simulations and modeling that indicate how that can be done and also improving on the current scheme that's being used at Livermore, which is actually a scheme that started about 30 years ago, more than that, and therefore there are more advanced techniques that people are looking at now that could improve the efficiency considerably. All of that requires research. And the problem is that to do this research, you need fairly big facilities. It's not something that, that is amenable to benchtop experiments. You really have to do it on a large scale in order to get the conditions necessary. So one's talking about building demo reactors and demo test systems, and that's essentially the technology, or, or sorry, the terminology that people are referring to is sort of the next generation uh, demo reactor systems that will be the engineering test beds for actually bringing this to uh, energy producing technology. Right. I've been reading about uh, there's a, a big one in France that uses a different kind of technology. Is it is it plasma torus? Is that something along those Cor lines? That's yeah. correct. That's that's. But that also is not a, a demo. That's actually a scientific uh, a demonstration. So in fact, it's built to demonstrate the same result. Well, a, a better result than was announced today, but for the magnetic approach to fusion energy, where they want to get a gain of ten times, but it's not engineered to run as a, an ongoing power source. It's essentially a scientific demonstration of feasibility and would then require an engineered demo reactor, which has much more robust uh, materials in it and systems in it in order to operate 
uh, ongoing for at least days, if not weeks, months, and years, which that system is not designed to do. So it's it's also a first or next step for the magnetic confinement system. Right. I, I guess when you add it all together, when you take tidal and solar and wind and so on, you add them all into this big mix, that, that fusion could play a really a good role in that at one point because it is, it is um, constant, right? Yes, exactly. And, and this is the, you know, I think the major advantage of fusion, it, it basically replaces what we're very familiar with is the, the base load power system 24-7 that's reliable, whether there's a storm outside, whether the sun is not shining. It, you know, it's, it's a very reliable energy source if it can be developed, basically. And, and the other aspect is that the fuel is available abundantly uh, in the world so that essentially the main isotope that's used is deuterium from seawater. And the second isotope is actually very exotic, tritium, uh, which has two extra neutrons in the hydrogen atom, which you have to manufacture within the fusion plant itself by uh, reactions with lithium. So in essence, your raw fuel going in is, is lithium and deuterium. But what you're talking about is, is like one cubic meter of each, each year for a gigawatt power plant. Right. That's only one I, cubic I, meter. That's a very small amount of that's, fuel. That's not much. Although I did read that they're, they're, they're quite in short supply. In fact, there's something to do with the Kandu reactor when it came to the latter. There's, they're in quite exactly. short supply the, worldwide, yeah. The tritium, in fact, is a very valuable, very valuable commodity now because uh, all these fusion uh, companies want to, you know, have a supply of tritium. And, and until you get a fusion reaction uh, reactor actually running, which will produce the tritium in a self-sustained fashion, in all your test experiments, you're consuming tritium. And in fact, can-do reactors are one of the few sources of, of tritium in the world where it produces a few kilograms per can-do reactor per year, in essence. And, and that's a, a whole cycle that also is under development right now. And in fact, Canada's leader in that. We, we're one of, because it, it's produced in the can-do reactors, um, we have some of the world-leading expertise in tritium uh, handling and, and so on. So, so in, in a nutshell, what should we be looking out for next? What would be the next thing, the next chapter in this story? Well, I think... Uh, now we look for incremental gain in the uh, you know the yields, and I think we'll see that. I mean, if you look historically over the last little period, we've been almost doubling the gain every two years or so. So over the next decade, we should reach gains of 10, and uh, hopefully in two decades, gains of 100, and, and be there in, in, in a position where now that's a, way over what one would need to actually uh, field a power plant. And in parallel, we need a tremendous amount of research on the materials side in order to make the reactors robust enough to uh, to last for years on end. And these are uh, many parallel um, research initiatives that are necessary in order to bring this to fruition in the end. Robert Fedoseyev, thank you so much for uh, shedding some light on this important day. It is a technical one, but thank you for making it quite simple. Okay, you're very welcome. Thank you.